Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, those of you who know me know that one of my main responsibilities at New Spring is to do pastoral life coaching for couples that are going through difficult times. Uh, I've been doing that now for 10 years. One of, I mean, one of the true joys of my life is to sit across from couples and uh, work through their challenges with them. Um, but I, I had this specific couple in mind as I was preparing this talk, because this has been a few years ago. I'm sitting across from this couple, and he's talking about his growing up time. He talked about how his mom and dad had these really unchecked anger problems. Mom had an anger problem, dad had an anger problem, and there was this just vitriolic conflict in that house, just no terminal velocity for fights. They would just get ratcheted up and up, and he actually saw abuse take place between his mom and his dad. And now this is a a relatively young couple. They're sitting in my office, and he's saying that, you know, they're struggling with anger and they're struggling with conflict. And he was saying, I'm, I'm trying so hard, but, but we're just, we're not getting anywhere. We're not getting any better. And I remember something that he said to me, because see, couples come to see me because at least in one area of their relationship, they feel stuck. Not necessarily in every area, but at least in one area, they're trying something, it's not working, they feel stuck, so they come see me. And I think he articulated that feeling of being stuck in a way uh, that was just really special. So I, I put it up here on the screen for you. He said, I'm doing the best I can do, and it's still not working. And I'm wondering if there's an area of your life that resonates with that, where you would say, yeah, I kind of, I know what that's like. I mean, it's certainly been the case for me. I know what it's like to be doing the very best you can, and it's just not working. Right? I mean, it wasn't a, with this couple, it wasn't a doing problem. Sometimes I, I work with couples and it's a doing problem. They know what to do, they just won't do it. But most of the time, it's not a doing problem, it's a knowing problem. They're, they're, they're willing to put the effort in, they're willing to do whatever it is that they need to do, it's just that what they're doing isn't working. And so when he said that, man, it just totally resonated with me. And I'm like, man, I've totally, I've been there before, I know what that's like. But if you're sitting there across from that couple, I don't know, maybe you would be thinking the same thing I'm thinking, because after I've heard his story about growing up, I'm thinking, well, this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you you didn't see people model handling their emotions well growing up. You didn't see people model, uh, you know, how to manage conflict in marriage growing up. I mean, what you saw was examples of doing things wrong, so it's not surprising that now as you're trying your best, it's still not happening for you. As a matter of fact, I would say that, you know, kind of the message that I shared with him and that I would share with you for you to kind of think about um, this morning is that your work or your performance is only as good as your training. Whatever you've been trained to do, whatever you've learned to do, 
Well, that tends to be what we do, right? How many of us know, don't raise your hand, but how many of us know that we are, as kids, we say, I'm never gonna be like my mom and my dad. I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna be completely different. We have all these things that our mom and dad does that tick us off. We're not gonna do those things. And later on about, you know, you're about 35, 36, and you're like, since when did I turn into my parent? My gosh, I'm doing everything like my parents did. Because we tend to do what we've learned to do Right? So your work is only as good as your training, and your training is only as good as your trainer. Right? So if you've, been, if you've been getting some sort of on-the-job training, but the trainer that they assigned you to doesn't know what they're doing, then you're not going to know what you're doing when it's over, are you? Right? Because if you sort of follow this logic, if you have a trainer that's dysfunctional in the area that they're training you, so not just dysfunctional overall, but if in what they're trying to train you how to do, if they're dysfunctional in that, you're going to get dysfunctional training, and your dysfunctional training is going to end up in a dysfunctional product. And what you have going on isn't going to work because you were trained by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. I had this happen to me years ago. About 13 years ago, I was working on the staff of Edmonds First Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. It's a little suburb on the north side of Oklahoma City there. And I'd been brought onto that church to work as the television director. We'd never had a television ministry at that church. And uh, um, there had been this large donation. And I mean, we didn't even have any video equipment to speak of. So we, we were kind of like starting everything from scratch. So one of the things that I asked for when they hired me on is I said, we need to carve out a space in the building. It was a, we had a massive building. We need to carve out a space in the building that we can turn into a little video studio. And I had all these little drawings that I'd made of how that studio um, should look, and, and I, I got permission to do that. And so, you know, we, we cleaned out that area, and we started moving all the equipment in. But I needed a fake wall to be the background for our videos, right? Uh, you know, a sheetrocked wall. And, um, you know, if I had any construction experience at all, that'd be something I could easily do, right? Because it's not that hard to build something fake. I mean, if you have to build a real wall, that's one thing. But if you build a fake wall, it shouldn't be any big deal. But you don't understand. You don't want me near any construction task, right? I tend to set things on fire, blow things up, right? It's better just to, to keep me away from those types of tasks. Um, so we had some volunteers at the church who came in. They framed in this wall and put two sheets of sheetrock up, so two eight-foot sections of sheetrock. And uh, so they spent the better part of an, an evening doing this. They said, we'll come back in a couple days. We'll mud and tape this, and then you guys can paint it whatever you want. So I was very happy with that, except for their schedules got really busy. They're volunteers, and so... Three weeks go by and they don't mud and tape that wall. And that wall is mocking me. Every time I walk into that studio, I see this unfinished wall and I think of all the things we could be doing if it was done. And the more I look at it, the more I think, I could do that. It can't be that hard, you know? So I start asking around to find out if any of the people that I work with know anything about drywall. And what I learned is that almost everybody thinks they know how to do drywall. And I talked to somebody that I worked with, and he started explaining to me the process. He even offered to go to Home Depot with me to get the tools and stuff that we needed. So we go to Home Depot together, and uh, he, you know, sort of picking out the tools. He gets this um, big plastic spackle um, knife, and if you do sheetrock work, you know the moment that I say there was a big plastic spackle knife, you know the whole thing is over at this point, right? <laughs> We're done already, right, because that won't work. Um, and then I get that, I get tape, and I get a five-gallon pail of ready-mix mud for the one eight-foot seam that we have. Um, so I go back there. Now, my friend doesn't help me do it. He just explains to me the process. And after he explains to me the process, I said, well, what happens if you can still see a line from the tape? He said, well, you just put more mud on. 
I said, well, what happens if the mud starts to, you know, collect and look ugly? He said, well, you float it out. And he makes this big motion. You float it out, right? So for the next, I don't know, seven and a half, eight hours, um, I'm mudding this one seam uh, on this wall. And I kept seeing lines, so I kept adding more mud. And then when the mud started to collect, I'd float it out all the way up to the top of the wall and all the way down to the bottom of the wall, right? It was a very abstract looking wall by the time it was done. Um, <laughs> so I used three of the five gallons of mud, but that's a whole other day. Um, so of course, when our volunteers came back in, you know, after they almost had a heart attack laughing, um, they had to take the wall, because it was unusable. I had messed it up so bad it was unusable. They had to put new drywall up and actually finish the job uh, so that it looked like a wall that was constructed by humans. But um, <laughs> the thing about it is, I look back on that experience, and, and seriously, no joke, for, for the you know, seven hours, whenever it was that I was working on that, I was so mad at myself because I kept thinking, why can I not do this? Why can I not do this? I mean, it's not that hard. People do this every day. Why can I not do this? But you know why I couldn't do it? Because I got dysfunctional training from a trainer who was dysfunctional in that area, and as a result, my performance was dysfunctional. And I'm wondering if that's happening to you in some area of your life, maybe your finances. Maybe somebody has trained you how to do your finances, but they don't really know how to do their finances. And so you got dysfunctional training from a dysfunctional trainer, now your performance is dysfunctional. Parenting is the hardest job you'll ever do in your life. Hardest job. But most of the training you got on how to be a parent came from your parents. And there's probably a lot of things that they were very functional in when it came to parenting, but I guarantee you there are some things they were dysfunctional in. And so there are going to be some things that you try to, you try to do with your kids, and you're going to wonder, why am I not getting, why, why is this not working for me? I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm trying, and nothing is working. But maybe it's because you got dysfunctional training from a dysfunctional trainer, now you have dysfunctional performance. So I want to ask you, this is, this is an exercise in humility this morning. I want to ask you to consider rethinking where you get your training from, right? And, and by the way, just as a way of sort of doing this sort of self-introspective, self-polling, let me ask you a question, where are you getting your training? You're getting your training from somewhere, Right? There's, there's, a, there's a person who does uh, uh, corporate training who says there are two kinds of people, learners and losers. I actually don't think that's true. I think we're all learners. And the question is, where are we getting our training from? One place I said we get it from is from our parents, right? We do get training from our parents, but we also get training from other sources. How about social media? How many hours a week are you on social media? You do recognize that social media is an educational tool. Every meme that you look at, every post that you read, every blog post that you read, every video that you watch is an educational tool, and you are learning something from it. The question is, are the people that are putting that stuff out, are they functional enough to be training you in that? Do you really want to be trained by them? We have middle schoolers and high schoolers in the room today. Your friends, are they functional enough in what they're training you in as your friends to actually be training you? Or is it possible that you're getting dysfunctional training from a dysfunctional trainer? That's why picking your friends is so important. Where are you getting your training? And by the way, you know, I, I, I wrestled with this because I feel like at this point in time in our country and in, um, you know, November almost, it's very difficult to speak publicly without people taking things politically. So I guess I'll just be political. Um, 
If you're getting your training from a political party, you're in big trouble. Because there is so much dysfunction in every political party that if you're getting your training from a political party, you're getting dysfunctional training and it's gonna end up turning into dysfunction in your life. Look, here, here's the deal. There, there are positives and negatives about both political parties that are major on the scene right now, but neither of them has what it takes to train somebody successfully how to live. And yet, some of us get online and we are getting our education not only from our political parties, but from people who think they know about our political parties, other people who think they understand the political party and the other political party, and they don't understand it. Meantime, we're absorbing all of this, and we wonder why our stomach churns like it's got acid in it all the time. It's because we're digesting stuff that's unhealthy, and it's inadequate to train us how to live, and suddenly we're wondering, why do I feel so bad? We feel bad because we're listening to the wrong people. You gotta be a gatekeeper for your, for your brain. Some stuff doesn't deserve to get access. But my question is, where are you getting your training? Now you know, this is a, this is a series on following Jesus, right? So the pitch that I'm gonna make to you today is that the place to get your training is from Jesus Christ. Now that's gonna be a different kind of life. I'm just gonna warn you up front. If you get your training from Jesus Christ, you're gonna look like an oddball to everybody around you. You're gonna be a wonderful oddball, but you're gonna look a little weird. Right? It's going to be a different kind of life. But I do want to make a case to you for the fact that you should get your training from Jesus. And by the way, Jesus has made that offer. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. So if you wondered, who does Jesus want to follow him? First he says, if you're weary, I want you to follow me. What does it mean to be weary? Well, the word that comes across into the English language is weary here. The Greek word means exhausted. It means drained. It means you got no energy left. Now, this is what is true about a person who has a doing problem and, or excuse me, a knowing problem and not a doing problem. So they're motivated, they're energetic, and they will do what it takes. I'm gonna try to be the best parent I can. I'm gonna try with my finances the very best that I can. I'll go to seminars, I'll study stuff, I'll read books, whatever it takes. I'm gonna find a way to make this work. I see this with married couples that I see. I see people that have been to 10 seminars and their nightstand has five marriage books tall and, and they're doing everything that they can, but nothing is working. And as a result, they have no energy left. They've given up everything that they have to try to make this work. They're starting to feel kind of numb inside. And Jesus said, if that's you, then you need to come follow me. The other thing is he says, if you carry heavy burdens. And what comes across into the English from the Greek here as carry heavy burdens, it means to be under a crushing load. It's like saying, if you carry around a boulder. So I'm not trying to be too cute here. But what's the boulder that you're carrying around? One of the challenges, I think, with our culture, we're all so stressed because COVID has been a boulder for us to carry around. And we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know what all the details are going to be. Nobody's offering all the answers, and it's, it's a boulder to carry around. And you know what? We don't, we don't do it justice if we say that it's any less than that. It's a boulder for us, it's a boulder for our kids, it's a boulder for our community, it's a boulder for our country and for our world. And Jesus said, if you're carrying around a boulder, you're gonna to wanna to follow me, because I can help you. He says, I will give you rest. And then check this out, right on the heels of that, he says, take my yoke upon you. Now we don't talk about yokes very much 
in our culture. But in an agricultural society, especially at the time, they certainly understood what this was about. You'd have a harness that was built for two animals. And what you would do is you would take a stronger, more experienced animal, and you would harness them up with a weaker, less experienced animal. And as they would plow together, the weaker, less experienced animal would learn the ropes and become experienced and also would develop in strength. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're exhausted, if you're carrying around a heavy boulder, what I want you to do is harness up with me, and you're going to gain experience, you're going to learn what life is all about, and you're going to grow in strength. Because you can't just flip a switch and be ready to handle all this stuff. And so many of us want that. We want to just flip a switch and suddenly find a way to make COVID be no big deal for us. We want to flip a switch and suddenly find a way to make finances be no big deal for us. We want to flip a switch and suddenly figure out how we're going to manage being a parent and do it all right. We want to flip a switch and our marriage be perfect, but it's not going to work that way. Jesus said, no, you need to just harness up with me and we're going to do this one step at a time. We're going to do it one step at a time. So he says, harness up with me, and then check this out. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And by the way, it's one thing for Jesus to say, let me teach you. That enough is an offer, but he's actually going to make a sales pitch for why we should let him teach us. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So in a minute, I want to talk to you about these reasons that Jesus gave us for why we should let him teach us. But first off, let's not run too quickly past the fact that Jesus himself is saying he wants to teach you how to live. We've got this thing going on now in our country that's a, sort of a cottage industry, boutique industry of master classes, right? There's even websites that have popped up where you, you, know, you get a master class and get training from somebody who's exceptional at something and the goal is hopefully you'll really pick up on something great from them. But it's not just websites. Now there are things you can, you, know, you can fly to California and study with a great singer that everybody knows. And maybe that'll help you break through into the industry. Or, you know, you can fly to New York and study with a novelist. And maybe you're going to become this great novelist. The sort of goal is. And the thought here is whatever barrier that has kept you from being the next great singer, or whatever barrier that's kept you from being the next great writer, or whatever barrier that's kept you from being the next great movie storyteller, is gonna, you're going to go into this master class, and that person's going to help you over the barriers. And that might be true, because they got there. So maybe that's true. I mean, imagine what it would be like if, you know, if you're wanting to be an amazing investor, if you got an offer, Warren Buffett wants to take you under his wing and teach you how to invest. <laughs> Last night, I almost said Jimmy Buffett. That would have been a whole different deal. <clears throat> Warren, Warren Buffett wants to take, I mean, that would be a big deal. Or maybe, maybe Bill Gates wants to take you under his wing and talk to you about how to scale up a software business. Or, you know, Stephen King wants to take you under his wing and talk to you about writing. Steven Spielberg wants to take you under his wing and talk to you about how to tell stories in movie form. I mean, that would be a big deal because you would think if anybody would know how to help me over the barriers, it would be that person. They could help me be unstuck. I could actually get somewhere. This is the ultimate masterclass that Jesus is offering. Jesus is saying, look, I'm willing to take you under my wing and teach you how to live. And because of that, I can help you over the barriers. I mean, here's, let, let me tell you, one of the challenges that I have with being in this COVID season is that I can't even see past the barriers. But Jesus can see past the barriers and can help me over them. Jesus is saying, look, I can help you get past the things where you're stuck. That's a big, that's a, that's a big offer. Jesus wants to teach you how to live. So Jesus says, let me teach you. Don't let social media teach you. 
Yeah, then maybe there's some positive things in social media. Don't let your parents teach you, although maybe your parents have some positive lessons to teach you. Ultimately, you've got to pick who your main loyalty is to. Who is going to be the mentor that's going to drive what you do and what you know? And Jesus is saying, I want that to be me. Now, I'm going to walk through the reasons why he says you should let him teach you. Here's the first one. He says he promises to be a humble and gentle teacher. What does it mean to be a humble and gentle teacher? And by the way, you see this. um, I am humble and gentle at heart. My dad said in a recent, uh, I guess it's been a couple months ago, I was getting ready to speak, and my dad said that I was finishing up my PhD. So I guess between undergraduate, master's, PhD work, I guess I've probably had, what, eight, nine years um, in college classes. So I've had a ton of teachers. I've had, most of them have been just fabulous, wonderful people who've done a great job of teaching, but every once in a while you have that one teacher, you know what I mean? You, you get this teacher, and after like the first couple days of class, you go, how am I going to survive the 16 weeks, you know? Because the person, you can tell the reason that they teach is not to put students in a position to learn. The reason that they teach is to elevate their own ego, right? It's a power trip for them. It's an opportunity for them to feel better about themselves and to feel distanced from their students. I'm better than them. And it, it creates this weird sort of power struggle And everything is about enhancing their platform. And by the way, this isn't just in college. My dad and I were talking about this the other day. There's this weird dual agenda that happens. You know, so many of us, we learn things online. We look at blogs. We look at videos and so forth. And these people put out this content half because they want to help you, but half also because they want to enhance their platform. They want more likes. They want more views. They want to have that platform increase so that maybe they'll get a book contract or something like that. You have to understand that Jesus is offering you something that no other trainer can legitimately offer you. He's offering you a single agenda. There's no dual agenda here. Jesus does not need to elevate his platform. His platform is just fine the way that it is. He's only trying to put you in a position to be successful in the kingdom of God. Not successful necessarily in the kingdom of this world, but God is wanting to make you successful in the kingdom of God. And as a result of that, he's offering you a chance of a lifetime to learn from the creator of the universe. I'm humble. This isn't about me, this is about you. And then it says he's gentle at heart. I'm not a sports person, I guess. I, I don't watch sports a lot. I, I wish I did. I, I, I prayed for the spiritual gift of watching football. My, my, my dad and my brothers are really into it. So I, I thought, you know, it'd be really good if God would, you know, go ahead and give me whatever I didn't get so that I could join in, but it's just never been a thing for me. Um, So I have noticed over the years, I don't know if you've noticed this as well though, whenever I would watch a game, um, and and especially now that I'm more involved with performance psychology and I'm paying attention, um, it's interesting to watch coaches just tear into their players, just berate their players and almost abuse their players. As a matter of fact, we've had multiple cases of coaches losing their positions, um, you know, being put on suspension because of abusing their players. But there's always this thought that I'm abusing you to get the best out of you, right? And we're gonna be friends off the field. We're gonna be friends off the court. But on the court or on the field, I've gotta get the best out of you and this is how I'm gonna do it. By the way, psychologically, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, you, you can get better performance out of people by abusing them, but there's always a massive price tag on the other, on the other side of that. Um, but that having, that having been said, a gentle coach looks very different. My, my dad is a, 
lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan. And, 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 and that lapse in judgment aside, um, I, he's not here so I can say that. Um, I, I, I was always interested in the original coach of the Cowboys that my dad was a huge fan of. His name is Tom Landry. And uh, if you've ever watched Tom Landry coach, he's an interesting fellow. You know, he's always wearing this trench coat and a fedora, very, you know, interesting Texas style, always with his arms crossed, holding the, the, the uh, roster in one hand, walking back and forth on the sidelines. His team would make a huge mistake and you would see nothing, right? So much as a, so much as a matter of fact, that people would accuse him of being a plastic coach or they would say he had a robot face. Um, they say he, he didn't have any emotion, right? And yet later on, Drew Pearson would say that he, he and the rest of the team were shocked one day as Tom Landry came out and had to read a list of older players that were gonna get cut. They had brought on a bunch of talented new rookies and they were gonna have to let some of their older players go. And Tom Landry couldn't finish reading out the list because he was weeping. And they said, no, this guy has emotion. We didn't know he had emotion, but he has emotion. So interviewers would ask him, well, what then is going on on the field? You obviously have emotion. What's going on on the field? And he basically would always tell the interviewer, you do realize the goal is to win the game, right? So when we make a mistake, I'm just spending all my time thinking about, okay, how do we get from where we are to where we need to be? That's where I'm going to invest my energy. So it's important for you to know that Jesus, as a gentle teacher, Jesus is not about... Jesus has basically said, I will never abuse you to get the best out of you. And yet some of you have been in religions where that was the thought. Jesus said, I'm not going to abuse you to get the best out of you. I'm always going to ask the question, how do we get from where we are to where we need to be? Look at what Jesus said to the woman at the well. He could have raked her over the coals for all these relationship misfires. Instead, he said, go and sin no more. How do we get from here to where we need to be? Jesus is a humble and gentle teacher. Secondly, Jesus promises the deepest kind of peace. Check this out. Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. Rest here means peace. In your soul, we're talking about the deepest part of who you are. As, as deep as you can go, that's what we're talking about. I, I don't even know how to communicate this. I've thought about this a lot this week. Because I'm not even sure as Americans right now, we know what it would be like to have peace at the deepest part of our souls. We've digested so much anger and, and so much cultural tension over the last, I don't know, I, I, would, I would say, I would back it up. Some people say it's just been 2020. I would back it up the last five years. I just think in general, we've been an angry culture for the last five years. And I think as a, as a result of that, we don't even remember or know what it would be like to have peace at the deepest part of who we are. And we've started to get this idea that our peace hinges on what happens to us. Told you I was going to meddle politically, so I might as well meddle some more. There's some of you in this room that if Donald Trump wins the election, you think you're going to have peace at the deepest place of who you are. And if Donald Trump doesn't win the election, you don't think you're going to have peace. There's some of you in this room that if Joe Biden wins the election, you think you're going to have peace at the deepest part of who you are. And if, if Joe Biden doesn't win, you don't think you're going to have peace. Can I tell you that no political party and no presidential candidate has the ability to give you peace? So it ain't going to happen. You can think it's going to work that way, but it ain't going to work, it ain't going to work that way. Besides, that's giving a presidential candidate an awful lot of power to determine whether or not you have peace. That's giving a political party an awful lot of power. See, the thing about it is, Jesus wants you to know that peace isn't because of what happens to you. You have peace because of who you happen to follow. 
right? So if you follow Jesus, you can have peace regardless of who wins this election. As a matter of fact, I plan on having peace regardless of who wins this election, right? I have an opinion about who I would like to win the election, but regardless of who wins, I guarantee you I'm gonna, I'm gonna have peace. I, I have an opinion about how I want the Supreme Court thing to come down in terms of this uh, you know, new nomination, but ultimately I'm gonna have peace whether this new Supreme Court judge is confirmed or whether they're not confirmed. Right? Ultimately, the Democrats don't have anything that they can give me that's going to give me peace. The Republicans don't have anything they can give me that's going to give me peace. they got enough dysfunction on both sides to worry about. I need a functional leader, so I'm a lot more worried about the king of the universe than I am about the president of the United States. Oh, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote, but the most important leader has already been ensconced in his position, and he is not going to be replaced. It says, you will find rest for your soul's peace at the deepest part of who you are. And then there's two things I'm going to sandwich together. Jesus promises to do the heavy lifting. Look at this. For my yoke is easy to bear. And then the second part is, he says, I'm going to give you doable assignments. The burden I give you is light. So we've got this book ended here. When I was 21 newly married and decided I wanted to become a mechanic. So my wife and I moved to Wyoming so I could go to what was at the time the best mechanic school. Um, I was such a bad mechanic. I was so bad. Um, it's embarrassing. Really, it is. Uh, but so I went through the mechanic school, got all my diplomas and all that stuff. I got recruited by a dealership in Oklahoma City, Pontiac GMC dealership. So I went to work there, and on my first day there, they assigned me a mentor tech. This was a, a master tech, had all the certifications you could possibly have, and I'm supposed to learn from this person. I didn't really love that, because for one thing, at the time, I was now like, what, 23, and so I know everything about the world at this point. And also, um, I just went to tech school, so I know everything about cars. So I don't really need anybody to look over my shoulder at this point, but this is what they said I have to do. So I didn't like it because I, he would have me be a part of what he would be doing, but I didn't get to do it. I wanted to do it myself. So one day we had this Pontiac come in. It was like a year old, and we had to replace the engine. Some quick lube place had left the, drain pl the oil drain plug out. It had an oil out, and so it ruined the engine. We had to replace it. So, um, you know, he says, I'm going to have you help me, and if I actually think I'm going to get to help. But by help, he means go get my 11-millimeter socket, go get my fuel release clips. I feel like I'm this gopher going back and forth between him and his toolbox. And uh, so we get the engine mostly out, just, you know, just the block is left in, and we go home for the day. The next day I come in, he's sick. And I look at that car, <laughs> I look at that engine, and I think this is my chance to prove I don't need a mentor tech. So I go ahead and pull that out and start putting everything together, start putting that engine in the car. And in the process of doing that, I learned that there were some things they didn't teach us in tech school. And I damaged eight or $900 worth of parts, but that's a whole other deal. So um, when my mentor tech came back and looked at the damage I had created, he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, if I had thought you were ready to put in an engine, I would have told you to just do it. But right now, and this is what I want you to all antenna up, this is important. He said, right now, I'm doing the heavy lifting and you're doing the heavy learning. See, a lot of times we think that we don't need training because we think we understand it. I mean, one of the reasons why a lot of us aren't getting a lot of training from Jesus is because we think we know what we're doing. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Being a parent is harder than you think it is. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. You're going to do the heavy learning. No, being a spouse is harder than you think it is. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. You're going to do the heavy learning. No, working through this season is harder than you think it is. 
I'm going to do the heavy lifting. You do the heavy learning. But on the flip side, Jesus has said, the burden I give you is light. So Jesus is going to give you assignments. On the, I mean, this is sort of the other side of it. But I have met Christians that want to go to the Jesus school. They just don't want any homework. Jesus is going to give you assignments. But Jesus says, I'm never going to ask you to do something more than what you're capable of doing. All right, so I have 40 seconds to turn a corner here because I've been making sort of an abstract case for you so far in this talk about why you should let Jesus teach you. How do you do it? How do you orient your life to be taught by Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to get into it a lot deeper next week when my dad talks about um, obeying Christ. But I want to just talk for a minute about how do you orient your life towards being trained by Jesus. And here's the first thing. The first thing is you have to be willing to start fresh. Sometimes you have to unlearn in order to learn. Sometimes you have to unlearn. And I'm especially saying that because I know we have some middle schoolers and high schoolers in the room. There has never been a culture in the United States that I know of that has been so determined to teach our kids what our culture thinks is true. So if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ as a middle schooler or a high schooler, one of the difficult challenges that you're going to face is you're going to have to unlearn some things that this culture has been incredibly determined to teach you. For some of you, you're going to have to unlearn some things that you've learned about working, about cutting corners, about treating people rough in the business world because that's just how you get ahead. There are going to be things that we're going to have to unlearn if we're going to have to follow Jesus. But this is what Jesus said. And by the way, I'm going to use the message paraphrase here, which I don't do very often, but in this case, uh, Eugene Peterson has it really close. Uh, There's been this argument about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And uh, Jesus calls over a child whom he stood in the middle of the room and said, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you, check this out, unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again like this child will rank high in God's kingdom. You want to learn from Jesus? Be ready to unlearn some stuff. Be ready to start fresh. Be ready to take that big, gigantic notebook of everything that you've learned so far You're not going to say it doesn't exist, but for a moment, you're going to set it aside, start with a brand new notebook, sit at Jesus' feet and say, all right, teach me how to do this. I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to start fresh. Here's the second thing. You need to prepare to be radically different. If you want to be like the people around you, following Jesus is not for you. If you want to look like the culture, then letting Jesus teach you how to live is not for you. If you want to let Jesus teach you, you're going to have to be prepared to be different than the people around you. Let me give you an example. This is, this is just an example, right? This is in Matthew 5. Jesus said, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, so this is what Jesus said, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to teach you something. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How are we doing at that? And how would that look in juxtaposition with everybody else that you hang around with? My, my wager would be that you would look a lot different than the people around you if you started truly loving the people that set themselves up as enemies against you and praying for the I mean, think about this. How many, so many of us are getting into arguments on Facebook right now about political stuff. From somebody who studies psychology, can I tell you it's such a waste of time? First of all, they're not going to change their mind just because you put in what seems like a really, really good argument. They're not listening. Right? All you're doing is ratcheting up the tempo of the argument. But, but beyond all of that, the question is, did God call me to engage in this big ongoing social media debate that nobody's reading anyway? 
you do realize that very few people are reading your posts. I don't mean that meanly, but the truth, it's the truth. You know how much print goes out on social media? Believe me, right? The influence that we think we have on social media is so much smaller than it, than it, or so much bigger than it really is. We have a small influence on social media, and yet it takes so much of our time. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, if somebody that you are reading something they posted online, if you, if you just know in your heart they're a jerk, they're a moron, they're completely wrong, then pray for them. Pray for them. And pray for them in a loving way. Now, by the way, some of you are going to say, now Jonathan, I guess I could do that. I could say something nice. On, I can grit my teeth and say something nice to some moron on Facebook who says something that's ridiculous. If that's what Jesus wants me to do, I guess I'll just say something nice. Check out what the Bible says in Romans. Don't just pretend to love others. You see how, you see how this is radically different? Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. You know Jesus knows the difference between whether you're just acting like you love somebody or you really love somebody. Let me ask you a question. Do you love the presidential candidate that you don't want to win? You say, well, Jonathan, I don't love what they stand for. That's fine. Look what Romans says. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. I don't, this is the thing. We have this weird thing in America where suddenly the idea is if I love somebody, I must love all their ideas. I must love all their choices. I must love all their behaviors. That's ridiculous. That's certainly not what the Bible says. It's okay. It's okay for me to stand against an idea or a choice or a behavior, but it is never okay for me to say that because somebody behaves a certain way, I don't love them. Because they think a certain way, I don't love them. Because they behave a certain way, I don't love them. And as a matter of fact, I don't get to just say I don't love them. I have to really love them. Yeah, I know who I'd like to win this presidential election, but you know what? God's calling Jonathan to learn a little bit about what it means to love the other candidate. And you know what? God wants Jonathan to learn a little bit more about loving people who substantially support the other candidate. It's not just about politics, but imagine how different you would be than the people around you if you really love people that set themselves up as your enemies. Then this is the last thing. Plan on daily teaching sessions. So this is from Luke. Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, and this is perfectly situated for our series on I Follow. If you want to be my follower, you must do a couple things. You must give up your own way, push aside the book of everything that you think you know, start fresh, and then take up your cross daily, every day, and follow me. Yoke yourself up daily with Jesus. Why? Because an apprentice is only ready to stop being an apprentice when the apprentice knows everything that the mentor knows. But as you live on this planet, you're never going to know everything that Jesus knows. So basically, if you decide to let Jesus teach you, you have signed up for a lifelong apprenticeship. You're going to be 90-something, and you're still going to have something new to learn from Jesus. It's a daily experience. Now, I'm six minutes into overtime. Can I, can I give you one last thing, and we'll be done? Just, just one last thing. Because somebody would say, Jonathan, how do I get started? What, so give, me something, give me something practical, something I can do right now, something I can do right now to get started. Okay, here you go. If you go to the local bookstore and you go to the self-help section, the average self-help book 
in that section is going to be 50 to 85,000 words. You buy that book, you're making a commitment, you're going to read 50 to 85,000 words. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, books of the Bible that tell Jesus' story and where Jesus' teaching is most succinctly shared. As a matter of fact, almost half of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are going to be in red letters if you have a red letter Bible because they're going to be the words of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, depending on the translation, is about 83,000 words. Here's my challenge to you. How many of us would be willing to say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will be the very next self-help book that I read? Not because it's a self-help book. It's so much more than that. My point is to take that space on your nightstand that would normally have a self-help book on it and get rid of it and say, the very next thing that I'm going to read to learn how to live is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to let Jesus teach me something about how to live. And especially today in the world that we live in, we need Jesus to teach us more than ever. Listen, we need to be, if Christian, you know, Jerry Falwell Sr. used to say, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. And what he meant by that is, if anybody ought to be living an example out for the rest of the world, a shining example that the rest of the world can look at and say, that's excellent, it ought to be Christians. So if at any time, Christians ought to be reading the Bible and learning about Jesus, it ought to be now. Our world is really, really lost. And we really need to be the light and salt that God has called us to be. So I'm asking you to make that commitment. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, my very next step in learning how to live. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, thank you so much for everybody that's in this room and for the fact that you've called us to follow you. Father, I pray that you would give us the passion and the motivation to understand your way of doing this life that you've called us to. Give us clarity of mind and heart as we try to take one step at a time, harnessed with you, developing strength and experience so that we can make a difference in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here this week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.